0: Hello and welcome to mini episode 271 of Real Life Ghost Stories and I have one spooky story for you today and our story comes from the 21st of February 2023 and this story comes from Ryan I'm a long time childhood cancer survivor besides surviving an extremely rare form of leukaemia of which not many do I am still dealing with the long term effects of my then experimental treatments some of which have only now joined standard treatment options. Dr. Hickman, the inventor of the Hickman catheter, put mine in himself. I was the fifth person in the world to successfully become his own donor through a special medical process, been through 12 rounds of chemo and radiation, and was given a 10% chance to live. I was one and a half. I have only a few memories spanning back that far, I am about to turn 35 this Friday, the 24th, one of which I figure would be a good fit for your show. One night when I was in critical condition and in isolation, I remember doctors suddenly rushing around me in a panic. Then I woke up. There was suddenly no more pain. And some of my first words had been, No more pain dimension and physical space seemed completely relative as if i could move across the green field i stood on at the speed of thought along the rise of the gentle valley's rim the light was so bright it should have been painful but it wasn't along the top people in white robes stood watching me i felt as if i knew them all like old friends but i could recognize none of them then at the far end of the valley two figures appeared Both wore long white robes with deep hoods shadowing their faces. One wore a red belt with a sword and the other reached out his hand to me. Suddenly I was standing in front of them. A voice came from everywhere and nowhere and asked me, Do you want to live? I tried to say yes but I couldn't speak. I looked down at the figure's outstretched hand and saw that it had been pierced. I came to in the morning alive. When the nurses arrived in my isolated room they found a little stuffed animal puppet in my arms. A raccoon. I guess they were alarmed at first since I had been isolated due to my lack of immune system then but also because after reviewing the sheets and the cameras no one had come in or out to place it next to me. I still have raccoonie to this day. Later, my blood cell counts started going up on their own, something which the doctors at Fred Hutch Cancer Research Centre in Seattle couldn't figure out. And they're some of the best in the world. This year marks my 33rd year in remission. In 2000, my family moved from Portland, Oregon to Albuquerque, New Mexico, for a better job my dad had landed for a large national wine distributing company. If you've ever been to New Mexico, it's an amazing, basically undiscovered land. The state motto is the land of enchantment and it's true. I could go on about how awesome it is and I do in my old podcast I co-hosted with my sister called What's Up ABQ. But I'll just stick to the spooky stuff for now. New Mexico is a massive crux of Santa Fe Trail, Billy the Kid, Pueblo and Dine culture still thriving on their own lands living impacts from the Spanish and Mexicans who rolled armies up the Camino Real and occasionally were repulsed, UFOs a la Roswell, the VLA, Trinity Test Site, and now the film industry. It's stupidly easy to pick up local paranormal stories there, everything from the Taos Hum, the gin-swilling ghost of the Albuquerque Press Club, to the Nagloshi, a.k.a. Skinwalkers. And as a side note, Please do not talk about them during the dark half of the year, but also do not be afraid of them since that is where they gain their power from. I have two major locations where spooky stuff has happened to me. One of them is a camp way up in the Sangre de Cristo mountains between Santa Fe and Las Vegas. The original one, mind you. During the 1800s, travellers, cowboys, prospectors, etc. would occasionally attempt the shortcut to the end of the Santa Fe trail through the mountains there. After some time, a sort of proto-town was built, which is now just El Porvenir. There was an old hotel, half of which has now regrettably crumbled away to nothing. In the past, it also survived two fires as well. Up until last summer, when a massive wildfire swept through the canyon, there was a row of bunkhouses. On the side, still legible after years of paint, you could still read the suggestive names from when there had been a brothel there. Again, tons of history which I could go on and on about. I'd been going up there for years to camp or help work there. I still know it like the back of my hand, as they say. Once during a winter work weekend where volunteers would go up and help with various camp needs, my friend Andrew and I were taking a break from the cold and the light snow outside. One of the great things about the old hotel, or the chow hall as we called it, was that its main room had this awesome fireplace. You could feel pleasantly toasty even if you stood at the far end of the hall. There we sat, idly chatting and warming back up, when the door which used to go to the hotel's mail room creaked open and stopped hard halfway. My friend and I exchanged glances. Are you seeing this too? As we stared, the door suddenly swung back, slamming shut. Now, I know one of the first things critics might say is a draft or something, except winterizing the old place had been something the volunteers had already finished. We knew the building was winterized because we had helped do it ourselves. Then the door began opening and closing rapidly. At times, it would hard stop in various stages of opening. Other times, it would feign stillness for an offbeat before starting up its antics again. Now, it's easy to hear this story and be scared, but for us, it ended up just being kind of funny. Whatever it was had been playing a silly, harmless game with us. After a few minutes of this, we felt the heat from the fire completely warm us and we both rose to leave. Alright, enough now, I told it. We have to get back to work. I kid you not, it took one final hard stop in the middle of opening, then, as if with a beat, slammed shut. Another camp experience involving the old chow hall was the shadow that lived inside. Most everybody knew about this ultra-black presence that could be felt when you walked by the building at night. Despite the old lighting along the wraparound porch, it was as if it could never illuminate the inside of the building past the windows. While the presence never did anything to my knowledge, it still emitted a gut-jerking feel of terror and horror. For two summers I had to endure it every night when I would walk back down the steep slope to my cabin. Near the middle of the summer, number two one night. I just got tired of the presence's same old shenanigans. I got tired of feeling horrified. I decided if it was going to be an obstinate jerk I would respond in kind. That night as I walked down the hill approaching the old chow hall, that familiar terror began creeping up my spine. But this time I was ready. With a will, I suppressed the dark feelings, found the darkest patch of shadow I could spy inside the building, and then stopped. I turned, gazed directly at it, and smiled. Then I said, Hi. I paused and waited. Then I resumed. Look, I just work here. I have to walk this path each night. I know you're there. I know you're all big and bad and scary, that's cool, neat, a little bit weird, but hey, you do you. Have a nice night. Then I turned and walked back to my cabin. The next night, as I was passing the same spot, I felt the same old feeling rising, except this time, it felt like it had been insulted, but was actually powerless to do anything about it. I remember thinking how odd it must feel for it to be frustrated. I laughed out loud, turned and waved hello again. What's up, how's your evening going so far? Scare more people? Well that's neat and all but I'm tired and it's bedtime, see ya. Night after night I would continue these exchanges. Gradually, over time, the feelings of dread and fear were replaced with a sort of brooding, annoyed silence. It was as if it were like someone trapped in an awkward conversation that would never end but couldn't escape from. By the end of that summer I wasn't afraid anymore. As far as I know the inky presence is still there doing its thing until the old building finally collapses. I'd be lying if I said I'd miss that old chow hall and all our little nightly chats. One of the perks of working at the camp is that during the off season you can stay for free in the nicer cabins near the natural waterfall by the mountain spring fed pond there. Since my then fiancé and I had both worked there, we took advantage of the open offer one spring. We were also married up there by the waterfall in 2010. Over the years, I had naturally picked up a ton of local stories about the area, how Patrick Swayze used to live down the road with his horses before he finally passed, that the original movie Red Dawn had been filmed up there, and that the native tribes nearby considered the mountains sacred, and would at times go up on top and perform ceremonies. I've always been curious about Native American mythology, creatures and beliefs. Anyway, there we were staying in the cabin furthest from the camp. Morning came. I woke up first, brewed coffee and went out to enjoy the fresh air and the pine. Ever since I can remember I've seen things out of the corner of my eye. Little things you would notice and then almost immediately forget about for some reason, except I've found ways to remember some of them. I'm proud to say that I have a majority of Irish ancestry. I often wonder if it could be the sight. There I was, drinking my coffee and watching the morning sun rise slowly over the mountains, peaks and ridges. By all impressions, this ought to have been another one of those lovely moments in life. Which it was, until my eyes drifted down to watch the tree shadows. Immediately, my eyes flicked towards a subtle movement in the mid foreground on my left. I don't know how else to explain it, but I saw this long, dark, spindly creature. It was animal like, but I immediately knew it was intelligent and old. We watched each other steadily for a few moments before I blinked and it vanished. It felt like old death, certainly startling but with no particular hostile intent towards me. Later it reminded me of a time I saw a wolf in the wild near the ruins of an old Spanish mission. Wild, mysterious, dangerous, a briefly shared moment between two creatures who do not often meet. If any of your listeners who know more about native southwest mythology could help tell me what that thing might have been, I'd love to hear more. The other place in New Mexico where I've experienced spooky stuff is at the extreme end of Albuquerque in a place called the South Valley. It's a place of chrome lowriders, farm stands, chilies roasting in barrels, crime and quiet muddy eddies of the shallow Rio Grande River. Just before the pandemic, my wife and I were able to rent a little casita on a 15 acre hobby farm deep in the South Valley. There, amid the fields of hay edged with lavender, 100-year-old cottonwood trees, harsh but brief monsoons, the pre-route 66 road running along the old Camino Real, and the still-used acequias which irrigate the narrow riverlands lies the Don Philippe neighbourhood area. Just down the corner and up the street is where they used the local restaurant Twisters for Los Palos Hermanos in Breaking Bad. The RV tour makes regular stops there all the time. It was a stressful time for us then. We had just moved back from Hannibal, Missouri where living before. I was bouncing around between freelance and traditional marketing jobs while my wife grieved the loss of her great aunt and grandparents. It was some time after we had settled down there that I began to notice that whenever the sun began to set, the vibe changed. One moment it was ordinary, just a sunny front room with our furniture, art and pets. Then I would routinely feel my anxiety spike. Dull dread would rise just enough to be identified. Finally, full night would arrive after burning glorious desert suns, while the anxiety and dread would lessen a bit, there was an odd irrational fear that would always replace them. A few months after moving in I began to notice other things. A shadowy figure in the corner of the room, always staring. When I would fall asleep, either on the couch or in bed, I would often jolt awake, sensing and sometimes seeing the same looming shadow peering down at me. The occurrences would always grow in intensity during traditional Spanish holy days. Often we would hear something like tribal drumming, which would go on through the night without missing a beat. Then there was the ghost. Our casita had once been an old stable which explained the weird room setup of the place. At the time I was the interim marketing director up at Santa Fe Workshops. That meant I had an hour and change commute, one way going up and one way coming back each workday. Plus if you've ever driven on the I-25 during rush hour you'll understand when I say it's like being in the Indy 500 and everyone is trying to win. Often when I would get home... My wife would still be at work, leaving me and the pets to ourselves for a bit. During those times, the lights over the stove and inside the refrigerator would flicker oddly, but only when I was alone. After one particularly stressful day, I got in and started fixing myself dinner. I had the TV on in the background and turned to some show I didn't really need to pay attention to. As I approached the fridge to grab what I needed, the telltale light started going off and on as I held the door open. A side shook my head and continued cooking dinner. Then the stove light started flickering obstinately too. Already in a foul mood, I snapped. Could you, like, stop? I've had a shitty day and I'm really not in the mood for this, alright? Immediately the blinking ceased. There was no more trouble that night. Later, after dealing with all of this stuff, we prayed around the house. And things continued to happen. Then, being an ex-pastor, I anointed all the doors with holy oil. As a side note, there is no rule that I know of which forbids anyone from making their own holy water or oil. Still, things persisted with some intensity. Finally, we added burning sage, lavender and Paolo Santo wood in a ritual clockwise smudging technique. Say what you want about all that, all I know is that finally, finally, most of the scary activity ceased. As the saying goes, when in doubt, sage it out. And finally, a La Llorona story. The story of the ghostly, murderous woman who likes to haunt the Arroyos, wailing and drowning children, is a legend that is as old as Mexico itself. And, as terrible luck would have it, we lived right next to some of the oldest arroyos in the state, and an elementary school. Recently, I learned from area locals and through an excellent local podcast, Dos Buquenos, that 30 years ago, not two blocks away from our casita, a child had indeed been taken at dusk. To the ghostly wails of a woman nobody could find. On top of all the other things we had been dealing with that made us feel terrific. Just terrific. It's one thing to hear stories safely at home or while driving in your car. It's another thing when you encounter things unexpectedly in the dark. I think it's then that the willful ignorance is bliss attitude can lead to dangerous new conclusions. Believe what you will, but I find that just because I do not wish some things to be real does not actually make it so. An open mind is a wonderfully handy thing in a pinch. I say all this because one night as we were coming home from eating out at our favourite sushi restaurant, on the Central something did happen. As I drove up to the outer gate of the hobby farm I parked and got out to unlock the gate as I always had to. It was a warm, early fall evening and my wife had her passenger window down. The stars were bright above us. The wind sighed and then went still. There was a moment when we both paused as if something terrible was about to happen and then we heard it. A wail echoed away to our right, where the arroyo was. And before anyone starts saying maybe it was an animal or the wind or something, both my wife and I know better. The whale made your hair stand on end. Like the instinctive response between prey and predator. The sound itself shrieked and warbled. It didn't sound like sound, it was like we heard it with our skin first, then inside our heads and then finally we tried using our ears. Hands stereotypically fumbling the combination lock, I finally got it open, swung the gate wide and jumped back into our car. My wife had already rolled her window up. Once seated she locked the car door. I drove us through into the pasture beyond then I parked, realising that I had to get out again to shut and lock the gate. If I didn't our paranoid landlord who lived next door would lecture us about it. While I didn't like either option I took a few breaths and steeled myself, hopped out and sprinted to the gate locking it. The night had gone from peaceful, full of crickets, coyotes and light wind rustling the gold-leaved cottonwoods to dead silent. No bugs or animals now made any noise. Even the wind died. I jumped back in and drove as quickly as I could around the bends to our door. We both felt our gaze drift over past the horse farm next door to where we both knew the closest Arroyo was, but there was nothing for it. We both bolted inside and locked the door. We closed all the curtains and turned on all the lights, but thankfully, nothing happened. Later, out of morbid curiosity, I looked up La Llorona on YouTube. Some of the videos, especially the ones from Mexico, matched what I had heard. Just to say, as as Ryan mentioned, he has a podcast. And I'm just going to leave the link to Ryan's website in the description of this episode. Because if you feel like you're interested in the podcast or any of the other myriad stuff that Ryan does, then it, all the information will be there for you. So firstly, we need to go all the way back to that, I guess, near-death experience when you were a baby. Like, I really do feel like near-death experiences give me the heebie-jeebies a little bit. Not in a bad way, but just—they just they just put me on edge. So you're in this green field, there's all these people in like long white robes there's a fella comes over with like you know robes on and a red belt and a sword and he reaches out his hand and he's like do you want to live and you're like yeah and then you realize there's piercings in his hand and then you wake up with a little little toy puppet raccoon that was pretty sound of them in the afterlife to give you a uh, to give you a puppet to come back with and when you're only a little baby because you were only little at this point you know do you really have a perception of what you know, I'm putting inverted commas, heaven would be like, or an afterlife would be like. Do you even understand those concepts as a baby? Because I don't know that you do. So where did that idea come from? Unless it actually did happen and you did end up in a field with all these robed people and a man with pierced hands. And that is that version of the afterlife. I think when I think about things like the afterlife and near-death experiences, the thoughts are so big that they just overwhelm me and it freaks me out. It sends me into a big old existential crisis. I also feel like I need to apologise for all of the words that I definitely pronounced incorrectly. Just, I struggled, okay. And that camp sounds amazing. Like, I understand it's not like a camp camp. But I also recognise that it is, uh, it would probably be, you know, you'd go and do your work and then have a welcome break in a very beautiful part of the world. But if I, if I was there and I saw you stopping to have a chat with the evil shadow person every evening, I'd be like, don't you be goading that shadow person. Leave them be evil in peace. But also a part of me would be like, yeah, you tell them. Because I feel like shadow people, they've had their moment. I'm sorry. I'm over it now. I'm over the feelings of dread and anxiety and making people feel miserable. Maybe they need a taste of their own medicine. And it does sound like whatever was there had a level of intelligence if it was like opening and slamming the door. And then eventually when you were like, no, stop it, it then sort of slammed the door one last time and was done. So, you know, it would it would suggest that the shadow knew what it was doing, if that makes sense. And whatever that long, dark, spindly creature was, it's an absolute no from me. And especially like in the morning time where you think nothing's going to happen. You know, morning time is a time that is safe from the paranormal. You think it's dusk or it's nighttime. You're seeing shadow figures and spindly shit. No, morning time. You're seeing long spindly creatures. When I flew from L.A. to Vegas, I was so shocked by the terrain. I know that sounds really stupid and most people will be like, What are you talking about? Of course, but I I just I couldn't believe there was just desert (laughs) and nothingness for miles and miles and miles. And you might have one road through it. And then you'd have like all these valleys and canyons and then suddenly like a town or a city or an encampment. I mean, it just blew my mind. It blew my mind. And I could completely understand how you've got all these spindly dark creatures and whatever else you've got going on skinwalkers etc that are living out in this wilderness unbeknown to most people because th- there's just nothing there's just nothing for miles around it also sounds like you know when you had your ghost in your house that it was <laughs> that it was a very sort of respectful ghost you know fucked around with you a little bit and then when you were like no I've had a re really shit day don't do this that it was like okay fine I'll stop and I have not thought about La Llorona for a really long time and I'm pretty sure we did an episode on La Llorona a couple of years ago but uh Ooh, if I'm if I'm in the middle of nowhere, I get out of a car and I hear a woman screaming in that way because I think the whales of La Llorona, I think it's quite similar to the description of the Banshee, which even in itself, the fact that you've got these like cross-culture, cross-country similarities between these entities terrifies me. If you're hearing that whale and you know it's not an animal because, you know, I've heard foxes, we've heard cats, even hedgehogs can make a ruckus when they're mating, you know, animals make noises but you there oh mm, the description is that it, it that you just know instinctively like Ryan said it's like your skin heard it first and you know instinctively that something is not right i would be i'm i'm not looking left nor right i'm getting into my house i'm locking the doors i'm covering my ears and i'm not looking left nor right no way no how Thank you so much for listening to today's episode thank you to ryan for sending in your stories remember ryan's story came from february the 21st 2023 if you would like to check out ryan's website the details are in the description of this episode and if you would like to write in your own story you can do so by emailing it to real podcast at gmail.com you can also check out the website real stories And if you are desperate for some extra content, you can sign up to the Patreon. That is patreon.com forward slash real life ghost stories, where for $5 a month or $2 a month, you get access to heaps of extra content, as well as every single main and mini episode completely ad free. And on that note, I shall see you next time. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.